regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Buried Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. Hopefully you know that by now, but just in case you don't, there you go. At Cam Edwards on Twitter. I've not been on Twitter, actually, the last few days. Taking a bit of a uh, social media break, but uh, I am going back. I actually uh, retweeted the Minnesota Gun Owners Caucus today because they've got a, a court hearing coming up in their challenge to the uh, gun ban at the Minnesota State Fair. We'll uh, have an update for you on uh, BearingArms.com this afternoon, hopefully, uh, once we learn more about that hearing. Uh, also, a reminder that today is the final day for you to submit your public comments in the ATF's proposed rule regarding the redefinition of frames, receivers, firearms itself, uh, and, of course, the uh, the word readily, because they want to make it as easy as possible to say that a, a particular firearm is readily converted into something else. Or, uh, in, in this particular case, perhaps uh, an unfinished firearm is uh, readily converted into a firearm, even if it takes, you know, six hours and thousands of dollars worth of equipment to do so, uh, the federal government would like, you know, just to have the leeway to declare that uh, anything that could potentially be turned into a firearm uh, can, in fact, be readily converted uh, into one and therefore must be serialized. Uh, you have to go through a background check before you can purchase that. This is uh, one of the first steps of Biden's uh, anti-gun executive actions. Not the last step, but again, your chance to comment on this proposed rule is uh, running out. Ends at midnight tonight, as a matter of fact. Uh, meanwhile, the Biden administration is also sounding off about a new state law, this one in Missouri, the Second Amendment Preservation Act. And you might recall after the uh, Second Amendment Preservation Act was signed by Governor Mike Parson in Missouri, it was not long afterwards that Attorney General Merrick Garland uh, and the Department of Justice opined, not legally, but just you know offered their uh, their, their their unofficial opinion uh, that the law was a violation of the Constitution's supremacy clause. Which um, I'm not an attorney, but it's not. We'll get into that. Uh, now the Justice Department is weighing in in a more formal fashion. Uh, you might recall that St. Louis County. Uh, one other suburban county has sued the state of Missouri over the new Second Amendment Preservation Act, saying, well, we want to cooperate with federal officials when it comes to enforcing gun laws. You won't let us do it. And so now this case is in uh, circuit court in Missouri. This is not a federal case. This is a state case. And the uh, New York Times reporting that the Justice Department is getting involved here, uh, filing what amounts to a, a friend of the court brief. They are not officially joining this lawsuit. But they are filing a brief laying out their arguments uh, uh, against the Second Amendment Preservation Act. Um, uh, they say that uh, it is preventing local law enforcement from working with federal agents on gun cases, uh, already hampering joint drug and weapons investigations, saying that the uh, what the New York Times describes as among the most extreme state gun rights bills enacted in recent years is, uh, you know, putting a stop to the uh, federal enforcement of laws, which is not the case, by the way. Second Amendment Preservation Act says nothing about uh, federal officials can't uh, enforce federal law in the state of Missouri. What the Second Amendment Preservation Act says is state and local officials cannot cooperate with the federal government in the enforcement of any gun control laws. And that is what has the Biden administration hopping mad. Uh, in this brief, they write, HB 85 undermines law enforcement activities in Missouri, including valuable partnerships federal agencies have developed with state and local jurisdictions. It is also plainly unconstitutional under the Supremacy Clause. It's, okay, so it's not. 
we really need to go back and address this. This is not a violation of the Supremacy Clause. The Supreme Court, going back, frankly, to the 19th century, uh, has said that uh, state and local governments uh, do not have the, uh, they're not required uh, to assist in the enforcement of federal laws. Most recently, well, I don't even know if this is most recently, but most specifically when it comes to the enforcement of federal gun control laws. There was a case back in the 1990s called Prince versus the United States. And uh, Sheriff Jay Prince sued the U.S. government after the Brady Act was enacted. One of the original provisions of the Brady Act was, look, while we're building up the national instant check system uh, so that uh, gun dealers can run these back check, uh, background checks on all uh, prospective gun buyers, while we're building that system out, county sheriffs have to conduct background checks on gun sales. And Sheriff Prince sued, saying, no, I don't. This is a federal law. If you want background checks to be conducted on these gun sales, you need to have federal officials do it. You can't simply tell my office that I have to. And the Supreme Court agreed with Sheriff Prince and said, no, the federal government cannot compel state and local governments to enforce federal law. Now, state and local governments cannot stand in the way of federal agents enforcing federal law, but they don't have to lift a finger to help. This is why you have seen the rise of the sanctuary city movement when it comes to uh, uh, enforcing immigration law. And you've got cities, and actually the state of California too, passing laws that uh, say we are not going to cooperate with Immigrations and Customs Enforcement uh, in these particular matters. That's the, you've got the uh, states around the country that have legalized marijuana, despite the fact that it remains federal, uh, illegal under federal law. And these states are saying, look, we're not going to cooperate with the federal enforcement of, you know, low-level drug busts. This is the same idea. Only now we're talking about the right to keep and bear arms. And instead of, no, we're not going to cooperate with the enforcement of federal immigration laws, it's, no, we're not going to cooperate with the enforcement of federal gun control laws. Now, the Biden administration might not like it, in fact, I'm sure they don't, but it doesn't make it illegal. All right. Uh, the uh, New York Times also says, well, the document known as a statement of interest of the United States makes it clear that the department is not joining the state court suit. Similar filings have been used in the past to lay out the legal and constitutional arguments in preparation for federal cases. The 37 page filing lays out a detailed argument that Missouri's law is an attempt to nullify the Constitution's supremacy clause, which prohibits states from enacting laws that contradict federal statutes with citations referring to two centuries of constitutional case law. Yeah, something tells me they didn't spend a lot of time talking about the uh, Prinz decision in that 37-page filing. Again, this is not an effort on the part of the state of Missouri to nullify any sort of federal law. The Second Amendment Preservation Act in the state of Missouri simply says, we're not going to enforce them. We're not going to enforce these federal gun control laws. Not at the state level. And political subdivisions are not allowed to enforce these laws either. If they do, and if an officer in one of these political subdivisions uh, enforces federal gun control laws in violation of the Second Amendment Preservation Act, then they could be sued as a result of that. So, yeah, we have seen some law enforcement agencies in Missouri say, yeah, you know what, we're going to pull back here. We're, we're not even going to work with you on drug cases because who knows that that might lead to a gun case. I think that those are issues that can be worked out. Frankly, the law hasn't even gone into effect yet. Uh, it doesn't go, uh, take effect until August 28th. But these are issues that, that 
will be worked out over time. Uh, as for the constitutionality, again, I, I'm not an attorney, so take this with a grain of salt, but I've seen a number of bills this year. Second Amendment Preservation Act, Second Amendment Sanctuary Acts, uh, state-level laws. Some of them are so vague as to be meaningless. Like Arizona's Second Amendment Sanctuary Law means nothing. It, 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 it's, it's words on a piece of paper. Uh, ironically, Tucson officials have said, we're not going to abide by this law, which is, again, it's a moot point because the law really doesn't actually do anything. Missouri's law actually does have some teeth to it which is, I think, why the Biden administration is responding to the state of Missouri in a way that they have not responded to the state of Arizona, to the state of Oklahoma, uh, and to what the other half dozen or so states that have passed similar legislation this year. They're singling Missouri out. Uh, and I think it's because Missouri's effort actually is the most comprehensive piece of legislation uh, in terms of setting those limits of cooperation between state and local law enforcement and federal law enforcement. And the Biden administration ultimately wants to compel these agencies to enforce, to actively enforce federal law, which, again, that's not what the supremacy clause is all about. Uh, yes, the, the, the federal law is the law of the land, but that doesn't mean when it comes to enforcing that law. It's up to local law enforcement. Let's go back again and see what the Supreme Court said in uh, Prince versus the United States. So we're going to keep our eyes on this uh, situation here uh, to see if the federal government maybe will file suit itself in federal court once this law takes effect on August the 28th. Uh, but clearly the Biden administration's anti-gun agenda involves not only weaponizing the ATF, not only using the full resources of the DOJ, but again, trying to uh, not even recruit, but trying to draft state and local law enforcement to enforce Joe Biden's anti-gun agenda as well. So this is definitely worth keeping an eye on. All right, let's turn our attention now to today's Armed citizen story, our good deed of the day, uh, and our recidivist report as well. We'll start there, a story out of Maryland. Third man charged in Hagerstown shooting could face, could face, that's the key word there, could face prison time for a probation violation. And yes, this was involving uh, an actual shooting. This is from uh, uh, the uh, Herald Sun newspaper, uh, the Herald Mail newspaper, excuse me, in uh, Hagerstown, Maryland. Uh, there were three guys originally charged in a shooting that happened in April of last year in an alley near the city's uh, fairgrounds. All three of them have now entered plea agreements, and all three of them now face the possibility of going to prison. For a shooting, 22-year-old Edward Anthony Blackwell pleaded guilty this week in Washington County Circuit Court to conspiracy to commit first-degree assault. He was sentenced by a judge to 10 years in prison with all of it suspended, except for 279 days, which just coincidentally is the amount of time that he has spent behind bars awaiting trial. So he's out. He's done. In exchange, other charges, including conspiracy to commit attempted first-degree murder, were dropped. Blackwell placed on three years of probation, 18 months of that must be supervised, and then he has 18 months of unsupervised probation. So, yeah, conspiracy to commit first-degree murder, we'll leave that aside. Uh, we'll charge you instead with conspiracy to uh, commit assault. Uh, we'll let you off with time served and a, a little bit of probation. He appeared in court, by the way, uh, via Zoom, because he's being held right now without bail in Harford County, Maryland, 
where he's accused of violating his probation on a first-degree burglary charge. And because he is accused of violating his probation on that first-degree burglary charge, he is now facing the potential of 13 years in prison. The uh, two other co-defendants in the shooting case, 24-year-old Elijah James Miller and 31-year-old Milton Todd, uh, Milton Paul Brown, uh, also both entered plea agreements. Elijah Miller pleaded guilty back in April to first-degree assault. He was sentenced to 15 years in prison, all of it suspended except for the 286 days that he had spent behind bars awaiting trial. And uh, Miller, by the way, also um, admitted violating his probation on an earlier conspiracy to commit robbery charge. He was sentenced to uh, five years in prison for that. But uh, I don't know if that was suspended as well. It kind of sounds like it. Brown, meanwhile, pleaded guilty April 22nd to second-degree assault, as well as illegal possession of a regulated firearm. He was sentenced uh, to 10 years in prison, six of those years suspended uh, on the assault charge, a consecutive five years in prison, all of it suspended on the gun charge. He was then placed on 18 months of supervised probation, and in exchange, other charges, including attempted first-degree murder, were dropped. Blackwell, the uh, guy we were talking about, the first guy we were talking about, could potentially face 13 years of active incarceration if he violates his probation. But again, right now, he's been sentenced to time served. Uh, Miller got five years. Brown got six years of active incarceration and uh, a lot of time. But again, not actually, I take that back. The, the newspaper says that Miller got five years, but he didn't. He got five years for violating his probation in an unrelated case. Uh, Brown was sentenced to six years on the assault charge. So he did get six years for something that was originally a first-degree attempted murder. Now, I don't know about you. Um, a shooting that results in slaps on the wrist for uh, almost everyone involved. Uh, yeah, I'd call that a recidivist report. Particularly uh, coming from the state of Maryland, where they've got all kinds of gun control laws on the books, really high violent rates of uh, violent crime. And uh, again, not much in the way of consequences for uh, actual violent offenders. Now, we'll stick with uh, the state of Maryland for today's armed citizen story. This is from uh, Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. Police identify an alleged intruder that was shot and killed by a homeowner in Montgomery County, Maryland. This is in the uh, D.C. suburbs, Germantown, Maryland. It was Monday night. Officials say they got a call just before 7.30 p.m. about an intruder shot there in uh, Germantown. Collins said a man was trying to get into his home by force, and he shot the man trying to get in. Uh, the alleged intruder since identified as 31-year-old Luis Alfredo Sanchez of Germantown. Police believe that uh, Sanchez and the homeowner did know each other. Uh, they say the investigation is still unfolding. Uh, at this point, looks to be a case of self-defense. We will keep our eyes open for any updates uh, on occasion. Something that originally appears to be a self-defense situation can end up resulting in criminal charges. So, uh, again, we'll uh, keep our eyes peeled for any more information about the uh, shooting there in Germantown, Maryland. And finally today, our good deed of the day. Take a look at this. Not what you ever want to see. A vehicle there in the bottom of a pool happened in Walnut Creek, California. Police officer Michael Sizz was the first to arrive on the scene after police got a report of a vehicle that drove through a fence and possibly into a, uh, a backyard pool. Uh, when Sis arrived, he jumped into the pool and pulled the 79-year-old driver from the car after seeing the uh, SUV quickly sinking to the bottom of the pool. He was able to perform CPR on the uh, 79-year-old before medics took the driver to the hospital. He said, I held on to him and pulled him out. 
He said, I knew at that point that he'd been underwater for some time. So I started CPR, chest compressions, and after some time, he started to show some signs of coming to. Officer Sid's been with the Walnut Creek Police Department for about four years, says this is the first time that he has saved somebody on the job. Uh, they are still investigating the accident. They say the driver likely suffered a major medical emergency, which led to him uh, going through the uh, fence there and ended up in the pool. But the good news is, is it appears that the 79-year-old is going to be okay, uh, thanks to the quick thinking and the fast actions there of uh, the officer in Walnut Creek, California, Officer Michael Sizz, in the right place at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing. And we thank you, sir, for your very, very good deed. All right. That is uh, going to do it for this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. want to thank you for being a part of the program, as always. Again, one more reminder, midnight tonight, that is the deadline for you to submit your comment in the uh, ATF's proposed rule regarding uh, redefining frames, receivers, firearms. We're readily trying to expand uh, record-keeping uh, requirements for uh, FFLs. And this is one of two proposed rules that are open right now for public comment. The second comment uh, period closes, in, I believe, September, early September. Uh, I don't have a specific date for you, but that is uh, regarding the uh, proposed rule that would, in essence, reclassify uh, pistols uh, that have stabilizing braces attached to them as short-barreled rifles, um, most particular AR-style pistols with stabilizing braces attached. This is, as we've talked about with a friend, Stephen Gutowski of the uh, Reload.com, this is nothing more than a, a, a backdoor gun ban, an attempt to redefine a product, stabilizing braces, actually two products, stabilizing braces and pistols that are both legally uh, legal to own. Neither one of them fall under the auspices of the National Firearms Act. But the ATF wants to have this new rule that, well, you know, if you put a brace on one of those AR-style pistols, we can't tell you for sure that it's a short barrel rifle, but it's probably going to be a short barrel rifle. And if you don't register that item under the National Firearms Act, if you don't pay the $200 tax stamp to register that firearm with the federal government, I mean, you could be looking at a felony charge, could be looking at 10 years in prison, could be looking at a $250,000 fine. Again, we can't tell you for sure whether or not the gun that you own will be considered a short-barreled rifle, but, uh, you know, better to err on the side of caution. That's what the Obama, or excuse me, that's what the Biden administration is trying to do here with this second proposed rule. And I, I truly believe that you take these two proposed rules uh, in conjunction with each other, the attempt to redefine readily converted, the attempt to uh, say that, well, you know, we can actually ban millions of firearms that are not restricted items simply by redefining them. I, I think, I honestly believe that this is leading up to Joe Biden and the Biden administration trying to ban AR-15s and other semi-automatic rifles by declaring that they are readily converted into machine guns and therefore should be considered uh, restricted items that need to be registered under the National Firearms Act. Um, that would allow Joe Biden to enact or at least attempt to enact the gun ban that he talked about on the campaign trail Without introducing legislation, without a single vote in Congress, because the votes aren't there for his gun ban in Congress. So if Biden wants his gun ban and he can't get it through legislation, stands to reason that he's going to try to do it through uh, executive action, whether or not he actually has the authority to do so. 
All right, that is going to do it for this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. Thank you again for joining us on the program. If you like what you heard, uh, I would encourage you to check out BearingArms.com throughout the day. You can get even more Second Amendment news and information if you like what you see there. I'd also encourage you to become a VIP member. All you got to do, go to BearingArms.com slash subscribe. You can use the promo code GUNS to get 25% off of your VIP membership. We certainly do appreciate your support. Uh, in exchange, you will get exclusive analysis, commentary, stories you won't find anywhere else. And you will also be supporting programs like this each and every day. And again, we really do appreciate it. Hope you have a, a fantastic weekend. Uh, we'll be back on Monday with another brand new Bearing Arms Cam and Company. We will be, of course, updating the website uh, all throughout the weekend with the latest news and information that you need to know when it comes to your right to keep and bear arms. Until we talk again, be well, be safe, and be free. <laughs>